What does it mean for a people to cohere? Well, some definitions of the word cohere are to hold together firmly as parts of the same mass, to become united in principles, relationships, or interests, and to be logically or aesthetically consistent. And as a transitive verb, it means to cause parts or components to cohere. So again, I'll ask, what does it mean, or rather, what does it look like for a people, a nation, to cohere? As I look at our socio-political landscape, I have to wonder if there is any substance left to our cohesion. Are we, as our national motto states, e pluribus unum, out of many, one? And if we're not, then what can we, what should we do about it? Let's dive into this question as we have another hazardous conversation. Trigger warning disclaimer. Hazardous conversations pushes rhetorical boundaries for acceptable political discourse. Listening to this program could have the uncomfortable side effect of provoking deep intellectual inquiry into foundational principles of liberty. Listener discretion is advised. So this is a topic that I've been giving more and more thought to lately, and it's one that I think we all need to thoroughly consider as we look towards what our future is going to look like. So much so that I think it's going to end up being a recurring topic on the podcast. Now, since our founding, we have always had different opinions, different views, different philosophies over what our national character is and what we think it ought to be. And yes, these differences ranged from what form of government we ought to have, to how involved government ought to be in our daily lives, and even to the nature of humanity itself. But even within these differences, or perhaps more appropriately above these differences, was a unifying principle of liberty, of natural human freedom. Even if some of our founding fathers employed that principle hypocritically from our point of view. This principle of liberty is summed up in our Declaration of Independence, and our cohering application of it was captured by Jefferson when he wrote, quote, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Now, I know this is part of the declaration that my fellow patriots love to quote, even if some do it inaccurately from time to time. Actually, there's a meme that goes around pretty regularly that gets me riled up every time I see it that claims it is the Constitution that grants the right to overthrow a government, and that is simply untrue, people. It's the Declaration of Independence. But I digress. What Jefferson was articulating here was the singular thing, the unique idea that overarched all of the differing views and ideas held throughout the colonies. The idea that whatever form government takes, if it is not securing the natural rights of the people, it is to be done away with. Yes, it was this idea more than any other that brought coherence 
to the American experiment. That not only were personal, individual, natural rights the responsibility of governmental authority to protect, but that the people also held the right to alter, abolish, or replace any government that failed at that responsibility or attempted to infringe those rights. So, no matter what other differences, and there were many, that were shared across the colonies, there was coherence on this singular point. That the king of Great Britain, along with all his subordinates and officials, had failed at their appointed responsibility to protect the rights of their citizens. Now, their chosen and logical course of action in this situation was to separate or throw off that government rather than abolish or replace it. Of course, you can argue that they abolished the king's government in their states and country, but that wouldn't be a completely accurate description. They didn't seek to abolish or dissolve the king himself, or even the nation of Great Britain. Only the political authority that the king claimed over them. Similarly, by the mid-1850s, many in the South had come to believe that they had lost the ability to cohere with the North. And despite what progressives and even some conservatives try to maintain about the cause of the Civil War, the differences in views on slavery was not the incoherence that led to the fighting. Rather, it was the impossible to overcome incoherence on whether government was failing in its fundamental purpose to secure personal, independent, natural rights. Ironically, it seems that both the North and South held the view that government was in fact failing, but they were incoherent on what that failing actually was. For the South, it was having their, quote, rights, yes, including the supposed right to owning slaves, being infringed upon. And in the North, it was that government was failing to secure the rights of those held as slaves. Now, this incoherence then spilled over into the view on secession, with the South maintaining the quintessential American political character articulated in the Declaration of Independence, the right to alter, abolish, or throw off government that had become destructive to the natural rights of the people. The North, on the other hand, abandoned this central notion when it decided it must use military force to, quote, preserve the Union and disallow people to consent to their own governance. The Union had, very realistically, cast itself in the same role as Great Britain from nearly a century earlier. Now, please do not misconstrue what I am saying here. I am not saying that the South was right or good, or that the North was tyrannical or oppressive. I am not trying to oversimplify the complexity of the Civil War. However, I am trying to drill down to a specific political philosophy that was the undercurrent for the actions that led to it. And that undercurrent had far less to do with the disagreement over slavery and far more to do with the loss of coherence over whether states could choose to have slavery or not. The nation had, by the mid-19th century, lost coherence on this point. Two diametrically opposed views on the nature and purpose of government had made 
cohering any longer an impossibility. The South simply wanted to end the relationship and go their own way, and the North refused to let them. The consequence was a war that resulted in over 650,000 dead Americans. And in the end, the incoherence that had started it remained for at least another hundred years, with some arguing that it remains to this day. Now, I agree that we do have a national incoherence, but I will flatly deny that it is racial in character. However, our present incoherence is not very different from that of the past in that we have diametrically opposed views on the nature and purpose of government, with one camp, generally, promoting limited and local government, and the other camp, generally, promoting governmental intrusion into practically every area of life. In essence, a free yet hazardous society versus a planned and regulated society. With such incoherence, what possibility is there for our nation continuing in its present form? Now before we get too far down the theoretical path of national divorce and secession, let us please keep in mind what that is likely to look like. Now if we could agree that there was any blessing in the Civil War at all, it would have to be that it was regionally defined. With very few and some notable exceptions, where you lived dictated your views, and there was a geographical homogeny to those views. The North was Union, the South was Confederacy, and that was that. It would not be so clearly defined today, guys. Of course, there are some places that we colloquially refer to as being all one side or the other, places like New York, Illinois, the entire left coast are seen as leftist strongholds, while places like Texas, Florida, and Idaho is seen as solidly red. But let us not be juvenile in our view to think that all people who live there agree with the political pursuits of their current governments. It was barely 20 years ago that Florida was so deeply divided over the 2000 election, and Texas used to be a Democrat stronghold while California produced Ronald Reagan. So, shifting political demographics has always been a way of American life. And we have endured it largely because we cohered in the overarching principle of liberty. But that coherence, by and large, has totally dissolved from our national identity. You could be, today, living next door to a person that honestly believes you ought to be locked up for your views or shipped off to some re-education camp. You could easily be working side by side with people that view your beliefs on things like marriage or child rearing, not as things to be commended, but as things to be condemned. And somewhere along the way, we've crossed the rhetorical boundary from having respectful and civil disagreements into wanting to totally extinguish anyone that even slightly disagrees with us. Heck, we don't even have a common language anymore. The very definition of words and terms are being changed to suit political ideology, right along with open hypocrisy on how those terms are applied. And this, this is not just age-old political grandstanding. You know, I would venture to guess that nearly every U.S. president we have ever had, with the possible exception of Washington, 
has been called a tyrant by at least one of their political contemporaries. But when did we cross over the rhetorical boundary of turning mere political disagreement into justification for committing violence upon our fellow citizens? That is where I see no ability to cohere as a people. To illustrate just how impactful this might be, my friend Todd Herman of the Todd Herman Show podcast consistently pushes the idea of having parallel and alternative economies, especially in response to the COVID hoax. Now, I completely agree with Todd for the need to do this. However, my constant concern is for how long we would be allowed to go on our own way. Leftism is a virus. And like all viruses, if it isn't spreading, it's dying. So while we could conceivably go our own way for a period of time, it would only be a matter of time before our independence would be attacked and some sort of control attempted to be placed over us. Now hopefully by this point in the episode, I've gotten you to understand what I mean when I talk about our ability to cohere as a people. Now comes the difficult question of what we do about it, and I'll warn you, I have no answer, but even without an answer present before us, we must undertake the mental exercise to consider what our incoherence means going forward. Part of this is directed to people that espouse a desire to, quote, save America. Now, I understand what you think you mean when you say that. But I have to ask, what do you imagine that looks like? This is along the same lines of the problem I had with so many in Washington state that chanted over and over, arrest Inslee, arrest Inslee. For those of you who don't know, Inslee is the current uh, dictator of the state. Okay, so you arrest him. Then what? How far outside of the Constitution are you comfortable going in order to supposedly preserve it. Remember, the right to alter, abolish, or throw off government comes from the Declaration, not the Constitution. How heavily handed are you prepared to force people into freedom? And how well do you think that works out? How well did it work out after the Civil War? This is really the point of the episode. If we no longer have any coherence with our neighbors then why on God's green earth are we seeking to preserve them as neighbors? If you were content to live side by side, allowing each other to do as you please, then it's all well and good, and that's what we designed in our federal system. But if your neighbor has become intent on subjecting you to his will, then remaining neighbors is an irrational position. You must either move or you must be prepared to eliminate the threat that your neighbor poses to you. But be cautioned, we are running out of places to move to, and what principles of your own would you have to betray in order to eliminate your neighbor as a threat? The whole idea of coherence, whether it's local or national, is that there is some form of general agreement amongst the people that allows them to say that they are one people. In the past, ethnicity has played an undeniable role in the cohesion of many societies. 
with religion playing at least an equally important role. In America, we plowed very new ground in the idea that cohesion can also be found in philosophical principle, distinct from religious practice but not divorced from it, rather than mere religious or ethnic identity. The truth of that is not betrayed if we admit that this cohesion has been lost. It simply means that we have come to have incompatible philosophies. Now what we do about that? This is the problem that we must continue to entertain and give rigorous debate and consideration to. That will do for this episode. Like I said, this topic I think is too big to be confined to one episode, so don't be surprised if it comes back. Please like, rate, and comment on this episode and the rest of the podcast, and of course, share it with anyone and everyone that you know. And we have also launched the Hazardous Liberty Homestead YouTube channel, so you can wander on over there and get a good laugh at us trying to be homesteaders. So until next time, God be with you all in all that you do, and remember, keep the faith and keep up the fight.